This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news in our world lead, of course. President Trump, moments ago, speaking publicly for the first time about his order to kill Qasem Soleimani, the top Iranian general, and perhaps, at one point, the second most powerful Iranian official in a U.S. drone strike outside Baghdad, Iraq, last night. We take comfort in knowing that his reign of terror is over. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. The leaders of Iran do not see it that way, of course. Today, they vowed revenge. And the Iraqi prime minister protested the strike having been carried out on Iraqi land. President Trump insisted that General Soleimani was planning attacks on Americans and immediate action was necessary on Capitol Hill today. Increasingly louder calls for proof of the president's assertions, a challenge the Trump administration will likely face is the credibility chasm President Trump has been digging for years, undermining the trustworthiness of his own words by spreading lies and conspiracy theories, not to mention repeatedly attacking the U.S. intelligence community, the very community Congress and the world is now expected to believe. We're covering this story the way only CNN can with reporters in Iraq, in Iran, in Washington, D.C., but we're going to begin with Caitlin Collins, who's traveling with President Trump in Florida. And Caitlin, President Trump just now insisted he he had no choice but to order that strike. Yeah, Jake, he essentially said that these attacks that were being plotted were imminent and sinister in the president's words. And he said the action he took was not to start a war with Iran, but to stop a potential one. And that seemed like a defense in wake of the criticism that the president has received today amid concerns about how Iran is going to respond to all of this, because many people have said that they don't think it's a question of if, but when. And here's what the president said, essentially saying that the United States is prepared for whatever it is that Iran might do in response to this strike. We have the best intelligence in the world. If Americans anywhere are threatened, we have all of those targets already fully identified, and I am ready and prepared to take whatever action is necessary. And that in particular refers to Iran. We do not seek regime change. Two things are notable there, Jake. One, the president praising intelligence agencies, ones he's doubted in the past, even when it comes down to things like them conclusively deciding it was Russia who interfered in the election. But then there at the end, the president says we do not seek regime change. That comes just hours after the strike when John Bolton, the former national security advisor, said he hoped this was the first start of regime change, something the president clearly wanted to distinguish himself from. Caitlin, do we know how the decision to to attack, to, to strike Soleimani came together over the last few days? We're learning more about that. We know the president made the final decision to give the sign off to authorize this strike that killed him in recent days. And Jake, that came after not only the president had been briefed, clearly Senator Lindsey Graham had been told that this could be something they pursued in the next few days, but also after sources say national security officials and the White House attorneys got together, talked about the rationale for developing this. That's when they decided they didn't think they needed congressional approval, though you're already seeing lawmakers push back on that. Jake, the one thing we're still waiting to find out is what exactly the details of these imminent threats were, because so far Pompeo and the president have declined to give any details. All right, Caitlin Collins traveling with the president in Florida. Thanks so much. Minutes ago, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, said there was, quote, compelling intelligence 
and clear evidence Soleimani was planning a, quote, significant campaign of violence. And the U.S. would have been, quote, culpably negligent if the military didn't take action. As CNN's Alex Marquardt reports for us now, that intelligence, that evidence has yet to be made public. The car carrying Iran's most powerful military commander, destroyed beyond recognition by the missile strike from the American military drone flying overhead. Confirmation coming quickly that the ruthless and cunning Quds Force commander Qasem Soleimani was targeted and killed. Top U.S. officials tell CNN that attacks against U.S. targets planned by Soleimani were imminent, though the Trump administration has yet to provide any evidence. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying today there was compelling intelligence that Soleimani was planning a significant campaign of violence in the coming days, weeks and months. He added, we would be culpably negligent if we didn't take action. He was actively plotting in the region to take actions, a big action as he described it, that would have put dozens, if not hundreds, of American lives at risk. Uh, we know it was imminent. This was an intelligence-based uh, assessment uh, that drove our decision-making process. Ahead of a possible Iranian response, the Pentagon sending around 3,000 more troops to the region, adding to the beefed-up presence that followed violent protests at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Hundreds of U.S. service members have been killed by Soleimani's actions, according to U.S. officials. Thousands more maimed, mainly by improvised explosive devices that Iran sent to insurgents in Iraq. U.S. officials tell CNN that Soleimani was planning more attacks against U.S. targets in multiple countries across the region. Intelligence reports, they say, highlighted threats that were more significant than usual. We watched uh, the intelligence flow in that talked about Soleimani's travels in the region and the work that he was doing to put Americans further at risk. 62-year-old Soleimani joined the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps after the Iranian Revolution in 1979. For over 20 years, he had been at the head of its shadowy Quds Force, orchestrating military action and terrorist attacks in the Middle East and around the world. He supported and directed efforts of proxy forces like Hezbollah and Hamas against Israel and militias in Iraq against ISIS, which also committed war crimes against Sunni Muslim civilians. The Trump administration says that Soleimani approved those attacks this week on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. But the killing of Soleimani has left the U.S. presence in Iraq in doubt, with powerful forces demanding the eviction of the Americans. The Iraqi prime minister calling the attack a flagrant violation of the U.S.-Iraq security agreement. The big question has been why now when there have been opportunities to kill Soleimani in the past? General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, said it was the quote, size, scale, and scope of these planned attacks. Now, in the meantime, the threat level to U.S. military forces in the Middle East has been raised, meaning they believe an attack against them is likely. Jake? All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, Joining me now to discuss is Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He serves on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, thanks for joining us. Um, You heard President Trump just a few minutes ago. He said the strike was carried out uh, to stop a war, not to start one. Your reaction? Well, I worry that uh, this is going to ultimately spill into a a set of um, events in the region that will end up in a war between the United States and Iran. Uh, The stated intention here was to prevent an attack on U.S. forces. Uh, First of all, none of us have seen that intelligence yet. But the question is, does this action actually make us safer? The fact that we're pulling all American civilians out of Iraq today tells us that that place is more dangerous today than it was uh, just a day ago. Uh, And what we also know is 
is that uh, Qasem Soleimani wasn't a lone wolf. He was carrying out the policy of Iran's supreme leader. And that policy remains. He was quickly replaced by his number two. And there is no doubt that there will ultimately be serious reprisals, maybe against U.S. forces, maybe against U.S. civilians, maybe even against top U.S. political and military leaders here at home. Uh, This um, seems disproportionate to the threat. There's a reason why we didn't go after Soleimani under the Bush administration and the Obama administration is because they came to the assessment that going after that high and an Iranian official would end up getting more Americans killed um, uh, in the long run. Secretary of State Pompeo said that killing Soleimani uh, disrupted this imminent attack, saved American lives in the region. Do you dispute that? Well, I haven't seen any of the intelligence. You know, of course, the War Powers Act, which is the law of the United States, requires the president to consult with Congress before carrying out any military strikes overseas. The president is in violation of the War Powers Act. So none of us can sit here and opine as to whether this was necessary. But what I know as a watcher of Iran and of the Middle East uh, is that um, by taking out Soleimani, um, you are frankly creating a martyr that is going to inspire more attacks in the future. Uh, And so, yes, maybe it had the effect in the short run of preventing this attack. Maybe there were other ways uh, to prevent this attack through military action other than assassination. In the long run, though, this ultimately may uh, be more dangerous, likely to be more dangerous for American interests. Are you calling it an assassination? Because I believe that that word carries with it the weight of of legal theory that it, it was against the law. It is an assassination. I mean, this is a um, top uh, official of a foreign government. This isn't the head of a non-state terrorist group. No matter how bad a guy he is, how evil he was, uh, he was a commanding general of a sovereign foreign nation, and we executed him. So I don't think you can call it anything other than an assassination. It's not the first time that America has been involved in assassinating a foreign official, but it's probably the most high-profile foreign official that the United States military uh, has ever executed. Uh, I want to ask you uh, about a tweet you sent that some of your Republican colleagues are giving you grief for. Uh, before the attack, in response to the president's response to the attacks on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, you tweeted, the attack on our embassy in Baghdad is horrifying but predictable. Trump has rendered America impotent in the Middle East. No one fears us. No one listens to us. America has been reduced to huddling in safe rooms, hoping the bad guys will go away. What a disgrace, unquote. Um, What do you say to critics who say, look, before the attack, you said the president is insufficiently projecting American strength. Then he uh, carries out the strike and you fault him for that. Well, our policy in the Middle East has been embarrassment. It has made us weak. The fact that none of our allies can trust us, that the president changes his mind every day on how many troops we're going to have in Syria, that he welches on promises that America has made uh, to countries in the region and throughout the world. All of our policy in the Middle East has made us weaker. That doesn't justify the assassination of the leader of a foreign country that ultimately makes us less safe. I may counsel my kids to stand up to bullies. That doesn't mean I'm suggesting that they kill the people 
people that are threatening them. In this case, it may be, it is likely that the assassination of Qasem Soleimani ultimately will lead to war with Iran that will make the United States less safe. So I, of course, think that the president has taken um, grave missteps in the region, but this is, this is likely an overcorrection for lots of mistakes that have mounted over the t- time he's been in office. Just very quickly, if you could, do you think that the assassination, as you put it, of General Soleimani was against international law? Uh, you know, interestingly, international law is pretty vague and often silent on the question of assassination of um, uh, foreign leaders. Uh, I likely think that this was done um, without domestic sanction of law. I'm not sure that in the end the administration is going to be able to make the claim that this was absolutely necessary and proportional to prevent an attack on U.S. forces. But uh, I don't know whether it's in contravention of international law. Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut. Thank you for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks. You just heard from a Democratic member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Next, we're going to talk to the Republican chairman, of that committee. He spoke to the president today. Plus, we're going to go live to Baghdad and to Tehran, where we've already seen protests and could soon see a move that'll change the future of Americans in Iraq. Stay with us. Iran's regime promising a, quote, crushing response for the attack that killed Iran's most powerful general. As American flags burn on the streets of Tehran, U.S. military installations across the Middle East have raised their alert levels. Here in the U.S., stocks are falling because of fears of retaliation, and police departments in New York and Los Angeles are stepping up security. Joining me now to discuss all of it is Senator James Risch of Idaho. He's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, thank you uh, for joining us, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo says that the attack that killed General Soleimani was in response to an imminent attack. What can you tell us about the intelligence, and, and do you think it's important that the public get a chance to see as, as much of, as possible of this intelligence? Uh, I, I do. Uh, but as with these, uh, as always happens, it's going to be slower in coming. The, the intelligence won't be released immediately. I can tell you that uh, I'm the number two person on the intelligence committee, as well as being number one on foreign relations. Um, uh, th- this uh, uh, information that we had was rock solid. It was good intelligence. Our intelligence communities uh, uh, do a good job. There's 17 of them. They keep us safe at home. Uh, they keep our troops safe in the field. Uh, This man was involved in actually uh, participating in the orchestration of attacks against Americans. Uh, He had been uh, uh, actively engaged in the American that was killed within the most recent days and the Americans who's uh, the four Americans who were injured. Uh, He's done uh, awful things over the years, not the least of which was uh, running the IED program that is that killed and maimed so many of our young men and women uh, who are in service there. This guy was on the battlefield. He was a general, and he was taken out uh, by uh, military action, absolutely lawful. I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed for Chris Murphy when he says that this was a, an assassination. This was not an assassination. This was an act of military conduct, fully justified, and that's what happened. Well, you heard Senator Murphy uh, just now. Uh, former Vice President Biden said that President Trump has, quote, just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox, unquote. What's your response in general to the criticism you're hearing? Well, look, uh, this isn't surprising. Uh, the Democrats criticize this president for uh, for everything he does. Can Jake, can you imagine if we were having this interview 
and indeed Soleimani had been able to conduct the operations that uh, he was involved in, and Americans would have been killed, many Americans perhaps. And then the word came out that the intelligence community had warned the president that this was going to happen. Can you imagine what these Democrats would be saying? It would be stunning. And uh, uh, look, it is very hypocritical for them uh, to be talking like this. Uh, they were talking like this when, uh, when Barack Obama took out Osama bin Laden. This is a very, very similar type of an operation where the head of a terrorist organization, which this man was not only a general, uh, but uh, operating in the field, he was also the head of, uh, of the Quds Force, which is a terrorist organization. The president ought to be commended for this, not be uh, chided as, uh, as the Democrats are doing. It's, uh, it, it, it's uh, disappointing, to say the least. The U.S. embassy in Baghdad is on lockdown currently. American embassies in Bahrain, Kuwait, Pakistan have all issued security alerts. How concerned are you about retaliation and, and what kind of retaliation are you most worried about? Well, well, first of all, you know, the, the Iranians are just notorious uh, for making bad judgments and for uh, miscalculating. Uh, th that's uh, been their mode. Uh, uh, I, myself and many others warned them after the president did what I thought was very reasonable forbearance, both on the attack that was done by them on the drone and then secondly by the attack on the uh, oil operation in Saudi Arabia where we had 100 Americans uh, working at the time. Uh, the president used reasonable forbearance, I think. And uh, unfortunately, in that part of the world, uh, reasonable forbearance is many times viewed as weakness. And myself and others sent word through the publicly and through the uh, uh, usual back channels to the Iranians that they should not make the mistake of uh, thinking that this president is weak or that, that's, that this country is weak simply because we engaged in reasonable forbearance. Uh, I hope they don't uh, uh, make uh, a miscalculation again. We're not interested in getting into a war. Mm -hmm. uh, the president uh, said it best uh, uh, just recently uh, on, uh, uh, in the interview that you carried. Uh, look, we're not interested in that. But they, they will be making a horrendous mistake if they uh, up the ante here. Lastly, sir, at a time like this, it's obviously very important that the American people and people around the world trust the words that they are hearing from the U.S. president and his administration. Are you at all concerned that the president has eroded some of that? Well, well look, I, I think what you have to do is take every instance as it comes along. I can tell you and, and other people have seen the intelligence on this matter who have followed this man uh, for uh, uh, decades uh, will tell you that uh, this was a very dangerous situation that we were in. And uh, the, the president acted appropriately. He should be commended for that. And, uh, and I hope we as Americans can get behind our commander in chief whenever we're involved with a kinetic force like this. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for having me. As President Trump touts the attack critics question whether his history of false statements may hurt his credibility at such a critical time. That story next. Stay with us. In our worldly just moments ago, President Trump landing in Miami minutes after making his first public statement on the attack he ordered against Iranian General Soleimani, claiming without citing any specific evidence, Soleimani was planning on attacking Americans. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel, but we caught him in the act and terminated him. 
It is worth pointing out that two-thirds of the American public considers President Trump to not be honest or trustworthy, according to CNN polling, and given the thousands of false claims he's made since taking office. So, so let's talk about all this with my expert uh, uh, panel. Um, does it matter that President Trump is regarded by so many Americans as not being honest or trustworthy, given the fact that this is a time that he really needs us to believe? Absolutely, because this could very well lead to a full-scale war. And if that full-scale war was based on him putting forward a lie to justify this movement, well, then that reminds us of what happened with the Iraq war, in which we went into that country on false premises, and it's been an absolute disaster ever since. And it has caused a massive loss of trust, not just in those individuals, but from the public losing their trust in the government as a whole. And in fact, President Trump has, has talked a lot about not trusting intelligence, talked about a lot about uh, how he, he said that George W. Bush should have been impeached because of WMD in Iraq. But the bigger question is, does the American public trust our intelligence community and our Defense Department? Because they are the two organizations that made the assessment that Qasem Soleimani was planning eminent attacks against U.S. interests, not the president himself. Mm -hmm. Listen, I think it, the American people could be expected to believe that Qasem Soleimani was planning attacks on Americans because that's what he's been doing for 20 years. It's true that Trump administration has a well-earned credibility problem, and they should show us the evidence that they used to make this decision. But suffice to say, Qasem Soleimani did not show up in Baghdad with a bunch of terrorists for vacation. Okay? Now, the, that's, the question really is uh, not if it's the right thing to do. I mean, not whether we have the right to do it, but whether it's the right thing to do. And when I was at a briefing today with a bunch of State Department senior officials, the question kept coming up of, what happens next? Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? What are we going to do? Is there a plan for that? And there were no answers, okay? So this is a hugely risky thing. The legal justification will be debated for years, if not decades. But in the immediate days and weeks, we're going to have to deal with the fallout. And there's a lot of concern. My main concern is that this administration is not prepared for that. What, what, what might the fallout be? I heard a lot this morning about asymmetrical responses. In other words, you're not going to see the Iranian military try to defeat the American military on the battlefield. It will be more like Iranian proxies in Yemen go after American interests, Iranian proxies uh, elsewhere in the Middle East. What, what do you see? So I think the Iranians are going to unfold their response over time. I think we're going to see a lot of different kinds of responses. You could potentially see kidnapping of American officials or a potential assassination against uh, American officials abroad. You could see them go after diplomatic posts uh, around the world, not just in the Middle East. We have vulnerable posts around the world uh, where Iran has reach. We could see cyber attacks. Um, so there's a full range of options that the Iranians have. And don't forget that in a couple of days, the Iranians were already planning to announce potential additional nuclear steps. So you could also see them deepen their efforts on the nuclear program. Who is who is Soleimani? Who was Soleimani to the Iranian people? Uh, put him in some sort of context. A lot of people out there, this might be the first time they've ever heard of him. So he was just an ordinary person from a very poor background that fought in the Iraq-Iran war, rose up in the ranks and ended up becoming one of the most prominent generals in the Quds forces. He's very interesting in the sense that the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards, is a very unpopular organization amongst the broad scope of Iranians because they're so involved in the internal repression. Soleimani was different in the sense that he was part of this regime but actually enjoyed a significant amount of following and popularity, largely because he was seen as being a critical person fighting ISIS well, and someone who 
was perceived as defending Iran against some of those external threats. So I think what you will see first, before the Iranians actually do any retaliation against the United States, is that the government will try to use Soleimani's popularity in order to boost their own internal control. Josh, let's take it back to, the, to, the, to President Trump for one second. Sure. You heard Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, talk about how this is, in his view, an assassination. That's obviously right. a word that carries some weight right. on it. I mean, that, that is a very strong response right. uh, to, to killing uh, a, a very bad guy. Right. And I think it, it's worth uh, adding to Trita's point about his popularity in Iran that this Man was very unpopular in a lot of other countries where he did a lot of evil things, including Syria, where he orchestrated a genocide against the Syrian people, Lebanon, where he created mischief, and especially in Iraq. Remember, the Iraq protests were protesting Iranian PMF control. That means Soleimani, okay? Now, the question of assassination, I think, is, is, is not clear-cut, but... It, it, the way I understand it, he was a designated terrorist, okay? And the U.S. government has permission to kill terrorists when they find terrorists. Now, you can disagree with that from an authorization standpoint. Surely Congress has y- yielded a lot of uh, influence here by not renewing or changing the authorization since 2001. But I think we should acknowledge here that both the Obama administration, the Bush administration, and the Trump administration, they're zapping terrorists all over the place. And this was a terrorist with a government title, but he's still a terrorist. Do you worry at all about President Trump having squandered credibility on issues like whether or not the Canadian government cut out a clip of him from Home Alone 2, <laughs> whether or not Justin Trudeau had something to do with that, that squandered when he needs it now. He needs people to believe him now. I don't think people pay enough attention to things like whether or not he's upset with the Canadians. Or, or they've, they've now come into a place where they just take it in stride. You know, uh, we can we know he's the mouthpiece for this operation in terms of he needs to be the face of the U.S. government. But really, he didn't carry out this strike. He wasn't part of the intelligence that determined this strike. He's not part of the planning for for the post actions on this strike until he approves them. So really, his credibility is less relevant than our credibility with partner intel services around the world. Everyone stick around. We're going to keep talking and we've got more to talk about coming up. Fallout from the deadly strike up next. We're going to go live to Baghdad, where Iraqi leaders could soon take a major step that might change the future of the Americans in that country. Stay with us. The world lead President Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo pushing this video today in their tweets depicting celebrations in Iraq after the U.S. strike that killed Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani, as well as the commander of an Iranian-backed militia in Iraq. CNN reporters on the ground in Iraq, however, say these celebrations were not widespread. Meanwhile, Iraq's prime minister is calling the strike an assassination and a flagrant violation of the U.S. agreement with Iraq. I want to go to CNN's Arwa Damon. She's in Baghdad, Iraq, for us. Arwa, Will Iraqi leaders go as far as to say they want U.S. forces to leave the country? Well, Parliament is meeting for an emergency session on Sunday, so we'll get more clarity on that. But, Jake, even prior to all of this, after America's first strikes that took place this past Sunday against uh, one of the fairly powerful uh, groups here, Kata'ib Hezbollah, whose leader was also uh, killed alongside Soleimani. You already had um, senior leaders within parliament calling for the U.S. to leave. The prime minister himself prior to uh, all of this had said that perhaps Iraq needed to reassess its relationship with the United States following these strikes. Iraqi caretaker Prime Minister Adir Abdel Mahdi saying that this was not just a violation of Iraq's sovereignty, but also an act of aggression against Iraq itself. 
again, prior to all of this, there was perhaps a school of thought that would have said that even if lawmakers did draft a bill demanding that U.S. troops leave, it may not get the votes to pass through parliament. This may change that calculus. And you were talking there also uh, about this video depicting um, some celebrations in Baghdad following the death of Qasem Soleimani, just like he is in so many other places, a very divisive uh, figure here as well. But Jake, one also has to remember that even if Iraqis want Iranian influence to end here, even if they want to see an end to these Iranian-backed um, proxies and militias, that does not necessarily equate to being supportive of acts of American aggression on Iraqi soil, because Iraqis have learned the very bitter lesson in the aftermath of the 2003 U.S.-led invasion that toppled Saddam Hussein of exactly what American aggression looks like. And the repercussions from this particular strike, that is something that is going to put us, Jake, into uncharted territory. All right, Arwa Damon with some sobering words there from Baghdad. Thank you so much. Iran has already named Soleimani's replacement and is vowing to avenge his death, calling him a martyr. CNN's Ramin Mostahim is in the Iranian capital of Tehran. Uh, Ramin, what's happening right now in the streets of Tehran? At, at this moment, we are into this uh, Saturday. So I can say the schedule on Saturday is piling up more sentiments against America. And uh, it seems that students, different guilds, clergymen are going to have uh, different gatherings to call for revenge, revenge. So sentiment is framed around uh, revenge. And we expect uh, more revenge calling from the different walks of society because Qasem Soleimani seems to be hero for all walks of this Iranian society. And that's uh, bring us to the very pivotal times. And Ramin, what, what does revenge look like? What might the Iranians attempt to do uh, to get, uh, in their view, revenge against the United States? Uh, I mean, it seems uh, it's uh, unknown even for the officials. They are thinking and they are uh, just discussing behind the curtains what to do next. Uh, they show also some self-restraint and uh, they are trying to find the better way to take revenge. But the sentiments of the uh, people is piling up against America. And that's why, Jake, uh, we don't know what will happen. Ramin Mostahim in Tehran, thank you so much. Appreciate it. President Trump is now sending more American troops to the Middle East, but there remain a lot of questions surrounding this deployment. Stay with us. Iraq's president calling on both sides to use restraint after the U.S. attack that killed Iran's top general. I want to bring in Ambassador Richard Haas. He was a top diplomat in President George W. Bush's administration and is currently the president on, of the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, Mr. Haas, thanks for joining us. So we learned after the strike that the Trump administration is deploying thousands more troops to the Middle East, sending uh, thousands of them to Kuwait specifically. Does that signal to you that, that a retaliation from Iran is inevitable, that, that war is inevitable? I think in retaliation is extremely likely. I think, uh, though, it won't look like a traditional war, Jake. I don't, you know, we think of wars as uh, guys in uniforms on battlefields, beginnings and ends. I think this is likely to be much more diffuse, 
could be random in terms of time. It could use militias. It could use cyber. So I think we're looking at something much more distributed in terms of geography. Multiple targets could be, say, something in Saudi Arabia or Israel could even include a cyber attack on the United States. President Trump, of course, um, presenting this information, relying on the on the world to believe his word. Uh, as you and I have long discussed, uh, he's had his own credibility issues. He says a lot of things that are not true. Do you worry that the public, the world, will not believe what President Trump tells them when he needs them to the most? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's ironic to have him embracing U.S. intelligence since he's done so much to, to, to discredit it over the last couple of years. But it's important to one, to one degree, which is uh, he and the secretary of state were talking about the imminence of the attack. Imminence is a critical word in international law because it provides the right of what's called pre- uh, preemption and anticipatory self-defense. The idea that you uh, under international law have a right to act if an attack is about to be launched against you. But that needs to be proven. But I think there's a larger point, Jake, and it's where you began the conversation. We're sending thousands more troops to the Middle East. So even if this attack was justified in the narrow, I don't think it makes sense in the large. Why does the United States now, at a time of rising China, Russian threats to Europe, North Korean nuclear and missile programs, why do we want to find ourselves getting even more bogged down in the Middle East? I simply do not see the strategic logic of this set of decisions. Do you believe that the Trump administration has a plan for what comes next? I don't see how you can have a plan because at the moment it's unknown what Iran will do. There's any number of targets from refineries to embassies to American businesses in the region. So one can't have a a plan because this is not going to be a traditional conflict. Richard Haas, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, sir. Strong words just moments ago from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff about the potential fallout from the strike. That's next. President Trump bolstering U.S. presence in the Middle East, deploying roughly 3,000 more American troops from the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg. They are headed to Kuwait. What exactly is their mission? How long will they stay? as Iran's leaders vow revenge for the U.S. strike, killing Iran's highest-ranked military commander. Let's talk about this uh, with the panel. Uh, Let me ask you, um, President Trump said as recently as this past October, he wants to end endless wars. Is this a contradiction in your view? Absolutely. I mean, actually, since May, President Trump has deployed over 14,000 additional U.S. troops to the region. That was before the events of this week. So this deployment, I think we have to understand that it's going to have very limited utility against an asymmetric adversary like the Iranians. Conventional deterrence has, has a lot of limits. I think sending troops is going to make us feel good, but I'm not sure it's actually necessarily going to do anything to deter the Iranians at this stage. Yeah, I think the contradiction is between the president and a lot of people who work for him. And that's been the contradiction this whole time. You saw John Bolton tweet in favor of regime change, and the president had to say, no, 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 he doesn't speak for me. Well, how many people inside the administration have a different goal? It's clear the president doesn't want war. And what you said about deterrence is important because, you know, we talk a lot about this imminent attack thing. What the Pentagon said in the first statement, which was the official statement, is this is meant to deter future attacks. Now, somebody's got to explain to me the logic of attacking to deter an attack Because what you end up having throughout history is a series of escalations. It's called the escalation ladder, which is what leads you into a war you don't want. But again, today I went to the State Department. They're like, oh, this is going to deter Iran. That doesn't really seem to be the case, but that is the stated goal. In fact, everything the Trump administration has done from the moment it went into the White House has been to escalate matters towards Iran with the justification that that would deter the Iranians. 
But every time, instead of deterring the Iranians, it has caused the Iranians to counter-escalate. The only time we actually have seen that the Shia militias in Iraq did not attack American forces was when the Obama administration and the Iranians were negotiating and later on implementing the nuclear deal. By going out of that deal, we have essentially Trump has unresolved a resolved issue and instigated all of this and is now leading to a point in which some folks already are saying that we are, if not at the precipice of war, at war. Do you do you agree with the idea that this strike will de-escalate matters? Because that's what Secretary of State Pompeo said he hoped would happen. And then you heard President Trump say this this attack was to prevent a war, not to start a war. That might sound a little Orwellian to some people. I think it is. I think the intent is to send the message that we're open to de-escalation. But I don't believe anyone in the administration actually thinks that this will de-escalate. The, the the irony is that both sides of this argument, both Iran and the U.S., have miscalculated each other's behaviors from the beginning. The U.S. assumes that if they um, apply tough rhetoric to, to their speeches on Iran, then Iran will be cowed into concessions and will come to a table. And Iran has assumed that if they accelerate the withdrawal from JCPOA components and if they escalate gradually attacks against our interests, that it will force President Trump to come to the table. And both have been grave misinterpretations. So, so this is another one um, on, on both parts. And neither is going to de-escalate is, is the concern. Um, the, the activities are intended to send the message that we can get you in your sleep, but we'd rather not if you would just play nice. I think one of the other big ironies is that if the parliament moves to or votes to evict the U.S. from Iraq. The Iraqi parliament, yeah, yeah. Right. If the Iraqi parliament moves to evict the U.S. from Iraq, they'll give Trump exactly what he wants. I mean, the president has been clear that he'd really like to pull us out of right. the region. And, by the way, that would give Soleimani and Khamenei of, of Iran exactly. what they want exactly. or wanted they want. in Soleimani's case because they want the U.S. out of Iraq, too. We're talking about a lot of second and third degree effects that I don't think the administration has calculated. What is ruining the U.S.-Iraqi relationship? The other one is our troops in Syria. We've got 600, 800, 1, who knows how right. many troops. They're sitting ducks, all right? If, if this thing goes south... They're going to be the first to go. There goes our Syria policy, our Iraq policy, in exchange for what? In right. exchange for an escalation that's supposed to be a de-escalation that doesn't make sense in the first place. Mm -hmm. A lot of risk here. And Look at it from the Iraqi perspective. They were not consulted about this either. The last thing they want is to have their country that already has suffered so much to become the arena for this escalating conflict between Iran and the United States. And their considerations were not taken into account at all. All right. Uh, great stuff. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you all being here. Uh, be sure to tune in this Sunday morning to CNN State of the Union. My guests will be uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, Gang of Eight member and chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff, plus 2020 presidential candidate and veteran Mayor Pete Buttigieg. That's at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. Stay safe. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.